Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, April 17th, and we're talking about the food delivery space. I'm your host, Don Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's Evan New. Evan, what's going on, man? Not much. Stuck at home, just like you, just like everyone. (laughs) But you have have some kids at home, though. Yeah, so they have started remote learning now, and we're lucky that our kids are at least old enough to where they can kind of be self-sufficient. You know, like my youngest is seven, so he's in first grade. So he's actually doing pretty good for, you know, being able to stay focused on his stuff, but like in comparison, my brother has like a newborn and a three-year-old, so like <laughs> much harder to get work done from home when you have those, you know, that age group kind of running around. Toddlers just kind of always, always needing something. Yeah, I was talking to a friend last night actually, and, and they have two kids that are like seven and ten, and I said I think that the current situation we're in, uh, the amount that you're enjoying it is largely dictated by whether or not you have kids. <laughs> and it's something that is made a lot easier if you don't. Um, it's it's a tough time for everyone, but I imagine it's very difficult for parents that are trying to balance work and school. Um, one little kind of upside of all of this, Evan, is that you finally got to see Austin Morgan. We're, we're doing this over a Zoom call, and so often when we're in the studio, the camera is only on me. You had no idea what Austin looked like. Now you can put a face to the uh, the voice and the name. Yeah, I was, I was very confused of who this person was when I joined joined the Zoom meeting. <laughs> Like, that's not Dylan. Yeah, we got to give Austin more uh, screen time and air time, I think. Um, But today we're going to be talking about uh, the ride-sharing industry and the food delivery space, a couple really interesting news items that came out about them recently. And I I think that these are really businesses that are worth being in the news because they are so essential to what's going on right now with everyone being at home. Yeah, I mean, I think this whole crisis has really uncovered how essential so many services just you know, broadly speaking, service workers are so important to keeping everything running from grocery stores to food delivery to you know just food supply stuff in general. Like, and the kind of terrible thing is that these workers are you know kind of on the low end of you know income and pay rel- within our economy and like relative to other other people. Yeah, and these are folks who are generally not being offered health insurance um, and are, you know, contractor status. And so, they they don't have a lot of the perks that come with full-time employment. Um, And they've, you know, a lot of the companies that operate in the space have uh, been targeted for that. Uh, We're going to be talking about Lyft. We're going to be talking about Uber. We're also going to be talking about Grubhub and some of the food delivery companies. The first news item that I wanted to hit was the fact that Lyft is going to be getting into the delivery business. This is a company that has focused so long on self-driving and uh, you know ride-sharing and, and kind of pushing people. Uh, it seems that they are kind of responding to current conditions and are now focusing on being uh, someone that connects items as well. Right. So this week they announced a new program called Essential Deliveries, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Is you know they're going to have their drivers delivering. Um, things to people, so you know, think like meals, groceries, medical supplies, uh, basic household items. But this uh, initially, this program is really just you know they're basically partnering with organizations that are helping to bring these types of supplies to you know places like senior homes, senior facilities, uh, food banks, you know, for low-income families, stuff like that. It's not like a consumer-facing service like Grubhub or 
where you can just order and have a, a meal delivered to your house. Because uh, I think you know that type of platform takes more development integrations on the back end to really you know get the infrastructure in place to where you can scale that. So they probably don't have that ready yet. Uh, I imagine they're probably working on it, but we don't know. They haven't really said. But it is notable because Lyft has long resisted this whole idea of expanding into these other areas of kind of ride driving you know, stuff. Whereas Uber has long had Uber Eats, which is food delivery. They have Uber Freight, which is their freight network. Um, and Lyft has not done any of that. And they've kind of been hesitant to do it. But now that we're seeing ride sharing demand in the core business get destroyed by the virus, which I think I've seen numbers that it's down by like 50%, they're kind of, you know, now exploring it because they need to be giving their their drivers more work to do. Yeah, I think that this is probably a combination for them of, you know, goodwill efforts and, and trying to be helpful while we're dealing with such difficult times and also trying to keep people employed and trying to keep um, the, the folks that are part of their fleet working and driving and, and doing something um, so that they can continue to pay the bills and uh, that those people will stick around when we're back at a point where we can start taking rides again. Right. And I mean, Uber's been in this business for much longer. I mean, they first started get, getting into um, like food delivery back in 2014. So, you know, they've been in this in this for a while. And you know, it's interesting to kind of look at some of the numbers because, you know, being a somewhat more diversified business, you can kind of get an idea of where Lyft might be headed eventually. But, you know, Uber had just kind of gotten its core ride sharing business to, you know, positive adjusted EBITDA last year. Uh, it was like 2.1 billion, but the Eats business lost 1.4 billion in adjusted EBITDA last year because, again, kind of goes back to what we've always been talking about, which is really boils down to really aggressive promotions, uh, incentives, spending, stuff like that. That's really driving a lot of those losses. Uh, but but even for Uber, their Eats business, which is very, you know, again, it's many years old, is still burning through a lot of money. Yeah, and and I think in the last three months of 2019 alone. They did gross bookings of over four billion dollars for Uber Eats, which which sounds incredible. Um, and then you know you kind of start slowly chipping away at it. You know that means gap revenue of just over seven hundred million, adjusted net revenue, which is a metric they use, of over four hundred million. By the time you get down to that EBITDA number uh, for the quarter, I think is a loss of over four hundred million dollars. Um, we have kind of long talked about the fact that. The ride-hailing business is a very difficult one. Uh, it's it, essentially a commodity, and <clears throat> this business of food delivery is really no different. You know, it's it's not like any one service is going to be offering you a meaningfully better experience. Uh, what what they might be able to do is offer more restaurants or be slightly more ubiquitous and give you more options. But at the end of the day, you really just want the food that you ordered to show up. Right. One thing I've noticed kind of recently during this crisis, which I'm kind of curious about as far as the economics go, is that <clears throat> a lot of restaurants are now offering free delivery. Um, you know, of course, you're still you should still be tipping your driver and stuff like that. But like, for example, Chipotle right now, my local Chipotle, you can order and there's no delivery fee. It's totally free as far as just the delivery itself. But then they outsource that to like DoorDash. Or I think Buffalo Wild Wings does the same thing. But basically, all these these restaurant chains are now partnering with the food delivery companies and offering free service. So I'm just curious of what that looks like on the back end of the economics, like who's paying who for what, or you know, just an interesting thing I've noticed during this crisis as these restaurants are trying to make up for the lost revenue by at least making it more convenient and cheaper for the consumer to actually just get food delivered at no cost to them, other than the tip. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're a restaurant, that's that's really the only way that you're keeping the doors open at this point is if you're able to offer some delivery option. I would have to think, especially with those major chains, that the restaurants would be helping foot that bill. Uh, but I don't know for sure. I haven't seen reports on that. Um, and and really, like the the restaurant food delivery dynamic has always been kind of a strained one. You know, the the restaurant business is not an extremely profitable business, uh, especially if you're more of like a mom and pop shop. And these platforms that have connected customers to the restaurants, Grubhub, uh, Postmates, DoorDash, Uber Eats, uh, they have kind of collected a lot of flack for some of their practices. We're starting to see that come to a head a little bit. Right. So another thing that came out was there's a, a bunch of consumers in New York City um, have filed an antitrust lawsuit against these major food delivery platforms. And I think it's just a handful of consumers right now, but they're seeking class action status and they're seeking penalties or damages going back to like 2016. But the core allegation is that these companies, um, they're, you know, there's only like four or five big food platforms, like the ones you just mentioned. And that the, the allegation is that they're abusing their market power, uh, essentially keeping prices and fees high in a way that, you know, the restaurants have to pay these really high fees, and then they pass those fees along to consumers in the form of higher prices. And I think the terms of the platform basically say you can't offer different prices based on, you know, dine-in versus delivery. But I think that, you know, restaurants theoretically can fulfill a delivery order a little bit cheaper than some dine-in orders because they have less overhead to deal with and less, you know, they don't have to hire as many staff to you know, do dishes and, you know, it's kind of all the back kitchen stuff. So theoretically, uh, a restaurant, a local restaurant could maybe try to offer lower prices for delivery uh, as a way to kind of get more business. But the way that these platforms are set up, they're not allowed to do that. Plus, they're taking this huge chunk of the the order itself. I mean, the, the fees range from 10 to 40%, like 40% of a restaurant order for coming out of a local mom and pop restaurant. It's just untenable like they can't survive on that yeah that's it's huge and it's always been um, a point of conflict you know between these restaurants and these platforms especially the smaller ones Um, particularly because some of these platforms have done some things that are maybe a little unsavory um, bordering on unethical uh, with what they've done to present themselves as these restaurants or you know you kind of create a, a web presence for these companies that looks an awful lot like the web presence those companies already have. Right. We've talked about this before, I think. But yeah, Grubhub came under fire last summer over all these really shady things where you know they would set up phone numbers on online platforms that redirect through Grubhub to the restaurant. And then in the process, they get an even bigger cut of, <laughs> even, even bigger cut of the order. And they also set up websites that do the same thing, and like basically all these things that look like they're representing the restaurant itself, but it's really just a way to jack up their fees. And in some cases, they're charging like for phone orders that don't even exist because, you know, if a, if a person calls the restaurant through one of these numbers, but let's say they're just asking for like hours or directions, Grubhub might think they placed an order and they're going to charge the restaurant owner like eight bucks or something for a phone call, which is just ridiculous. Um, but it, and it's like it's buried in the legalese that they're allowed to do this, but certainly the restaurants haven't read these little fine print things. So it's kind of just that's why it's just so shady. And I mean, Grubhub has also um, said that they're they're going to be putting all their profits back into supporting the industry through various programs because you know of this whole crisis and you know they updated their guidance recently and 
said that they're going to be, you know, basically they had previously been targeting some level of adjusted EBITDA, but they're going to basically go for sacrifice a bunch of that by reinvesting that into the industry in the form of like lower fees and all this stuff. So they're, they're trying to do what they can, but at the same time, it's like these criticisms are still kind of valid in my opinion. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that this lawsuit is coming from consumers and not coming from restaurants themselves. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's one of the more interesting elements of it. Like, you know, the I guess the logic flow is that the higher prices that these restaurants are being forced to charge are then being passed along to the consumer, and so the consumers are being harmed. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's the restaurant's real battle with these guys because, you know, if you're uh, running on pretty slim restaurant margins and you have to pay seven or eight bucks because someone called, you know, this number asking for uh, your hours and didn't even place an order, uh, that's going to really eat into your margins. I mean, it comes back to that power dynamic too of just like, <clears throat> you know, if you're a restaurant, but you know, these platforms are kind of bullying you. But they're also a big, huge source of business for you. Like you don't have a whole lot of leeway because if you sue them, what you know? What if they kick you off the platform and now your your business is just screwed too? You know, I mean, it's just a really tough position for them to be in. Um, and there's not really a whole lot of the, uh, they can do unless they all band together. You know, like these consumers are doing, which you know, again, they're seeking class action status, but who knows how that'll play out. Yeah, and it's not like restaurants are really in a position of strength right now. You know, I mean, for the most part, uh, based on estimates I was seeing, like pre-COVID, a lot of restaurants in major metro areas would see, you know, somewhere between like twenty and forty percent of their orders coming through these platforms. Um, now, if you're using those platforms at all, it, it's it's probably a hundred percent or darn close to it, um, just because there aren't very many options. And unless people live very close to the restaurant, they aren't going to risk going outside to go pick it up um, or getting in their car or taking an Uber to go there. They're going to have someone come and deliver it. And so I have to imagine that number is north of seventy percent for most restaurants. Um, so we've talked a lot about all of the different businesses that um, are kind of like uniquely positioned to be in a in a place of strength really during COVID, um, and you know the the Netflixes, the Zooms come to mind. Um, these are companies that are probably more relevant than they've ever been, and yet are kind of in a position where it doesn't really translate into financial strength for them because they're kind of in a position where they have to provide uh, these goodwill services to help everyone weather what's going on right and it, and it really kind of go like goes back to all the cracks in the model that we've talked about whenever we've you know talked about ride sharing which is you know this industry has long been essentially funded and subsidized by venture capitalists to the point where the the, the prices and the fares for these services are so low and, and unsustainably so which also means that the company itself is not in a good position to really offer you know good protections for these workers that are obviously essential at this point. Uh, and, but in terms of like, you know, paid sick leave on, you know, health insurance, which are like the two biggest things right now. Uh, and so I think that, you know, the crisis is just really just, you know, shining light on, on some of the flaws in this model. And it's just, it's just such a tough time for all of these companies. I mean, even the companies are in a bad position, but it's also kind of their own fault. But I just feel bad for the drivers themselves because the drivers themselves should be getting you know, have, we should be taking better care of them. They should be getting better benefits, and they should probably be making more money. 
Yeah. And, and what's tough about this is the, the model is flawed. Like you talked about, you know, the, the restaurant business has razor thin margins. We talked about what was going on with Uber Eats before and how the, that operation was losing money. And if you look at the financials for Grubhub, the story is pretty similar. They did uh, over a billion dollars in revenue over the past 12 months, gross profit of over $500 million on that. And they posted a slight operating loss. So before we even get down to the bottom line, they're losing money. Now, there was a time where Grubhub was profitable um, and they had gross margins of over 50%. But as the space has gotten more competitive, they've had to offer promotions, they've had to discount, they've had to do all these different things. Um, and, and that's kind of the problem with being a commodity business. Right. And at this point, there's also been a lot of kind of consolidation in terms of like how big these companies are getting. You know, it's really just, you know, like you know, you mentioned earlier, it's like four or five different platforms. You have Grubhub, Postmates, DoorDash, Uber Eats. Uh, there's probably another one I'm forgetting, but they're beca- you know, the more power that gets concentrated on that level of the value chain, the worse off everyone else is in terms of like the restaurants and the drivers and you know, to arguably the consumers because you know, again, it goes back to higher prices arguably. So I mean, they're really consolidating a lot of power and and they're not even profitable. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a tough space to watch, honestly, because even if someone wins, it's probably coming at the expense of the restaurants, um, or it's meaning that consumers are paying more. Um, you know, the I think the only way that a lot of these businesses wind up becoming profitable long term and really being successful is by squeezing the margins there and and really kind of exerting their power, which is something that ultimately like may be good for investors, but not so great for consumers and restaurants. Right. I mean, at this point, I've I'm kind of not I'm not a fan of these platforms for a lot of the same reasons. I'm not a fan of ride sharing because of all these things that we've these kind of criticisms that we've talked about. So, the, like even for me, I personally have stopped using Grubhub. I used to use it all the time because the app is really nice. It's convenient. To, you know, it's super easy to order with your phone, pay with your Face ID. You know, I mean, it's it's really intuitive and, and easy. But if that means that my favorite local restaurant is getting kind of screwed in terms of the money then i'm gonna i'm gonna prefer to call them directly and just place the order myself even though it's a little bit less convenient but it's more sustainable and and supporting my local economy yeah that's the problem with adding middlemen to anything (laughs) uh, there winds up being some uh some money taken out along the way how have you guys been handling um being in the house evan have you guys been cooking more or have you been ordering in uh well for the first couple of weeks we, we you know Right when everyone was really scared, like we went and stocked up on tons of like canned foods and all this stuff, and we we're cooking a lot. But then, like as it, as things kind of calmed down, everyone, and we realized like, oh, food supply is still pretty pretty strong. You can still order from your restaurants as long as you just take it home. You can get delivery, you know. So we've started to like slowly do that just because the dishes have been getting kind of overwhelming <laughs> <laughs> with four people in the house eating three meals a day. You know, like it's yeah. dishes exponentially goes up <laughs> as far as your chores so you know we've been slowly offloading by going like picking up a little bit more lately the past couple of days and past week or so gotcha yeah i've resisted the urge to uh to call in and and get delivery i'm uh i'm trying to work through everything in my pantry at the moment because i'm going to be in the process of moving over the next couple of weeks and so i thought that'd be a good opportunity to to clean house so to speak and so i'm finding i'm finding muesli from like six <laughs> months ago i'm finding dried fruit back there uh it's it's a real hodgepodge of things that past dylan has bought uh, our producer, Austin Morgan, um, you've done some pretty awesome smoking and grilling in the past. Have you taken on any cool food projects since you've been staying at home? Yeah, uh, it's actually 
pretty hard to find the meat. We went to Costco last week and I got brisket and we also did, or I also got some ribs. So we did brisket last weekend. We do ribs this weekend. Well, there you go. That's something to look forward to. I think that's the key. You got to find some fun stuff to make the weekend actually feel like the weekend. The good thing is ribs take all day long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ribs are the perfect, uh, you know, stay at home kind of thing. I, I, I would like to do some of that while I'm working from home. I got to get on that as well. But uh, I've got a, a movie situation set up with friends for Saturday night, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, I have a friend who's like a film buff. And so he's going to be doing this primer on this Japanese film, Lady Snowblood. And it's like then, a watch party on Zoom or Facebook or something. How are you watching together? If it's- so we can all rent it, like in our individual homes. It's on YouTube for like three bucks, and uh, it's like this 1970s Japanese horror movie. And he's like a, a deep film buff and is super into uh, cinema and like explaining themes and all that kind of stuff. So he's going to give us like ten or fifteen minutes of preamble. And then we're all going to watch it and then we're going to come back and talk about it. And so that's going to oh, be our so Saturday like you, night. You, it's not like you all <laughs> push play at the same time and you're all in like a group FaceTime. And <laughs> no, I think I, he was like, "Well, we could like try to stream someone's laptop," but I was like, "I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I think the audio quality is going to be a little too rough on that." But uh, but yeah, I think the key for all of this is uh, you know. Supporting local when you can and, and just trying to make the weekend feel like the weekend. Anything fun for you, Evan? No, man. All these days are bleeding together. <laughs> <laughs> Even more so than usual. But, uh, yeah, no, we, we don't have anything planned. It's also snowing here. <laughs> you know, oh, it's what? Like, it's, like, it's like mid-April. <laughs> and it's supposed to snow. I don't know if it's, it's going to be snowing all weekend, but it's been snowing the past couple of days. So we're kind of stuck inside. Even more, more reasons to be stuck inside. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, we're not the only ones that are trying to come up with fun ways to pass the time. I'm sure our listeners are as well. And uh, we threw out a couple ideas there, you know, getting after it with the food, uh, maybe doing some movie stuff with friends. If you have any ideas or any fun ways that you've been passing time, we'd love to hear about it. Industry Probably focus do a lot, of, do a lot of Legos this weekend. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my son is huge on Legos and he has a, cl- a closet. Just It's like a giant pile from all the years of just like breaking down sets. So we, one of our projects that we've been putting off is to organize the giant pile of Legos to make it more approachable because it's kind of scary looking right now. <laughs> well, you know what, Evan? Uh, Legos are far better in the closet than on the carpet floor. <laughs> I think uh, the, one of the like worst things you can do is step on a Lego in a house. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 uh, we run, run into that far too many times. <laughs> uh, well, maybe clean the houses up there too. Um <laughs> <laughs> we've been uh we've been kind of riding out the the banter here i think we'll wrap the show uh listeners if you have any fun ways to spend the time while you're staying at home let us know industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at mf industry focus evan thanks so much for hopping on today's show it's great to see you and i'm glad you finally got to meet austin yeah of course good, <laughs> good to see you guys too <laughs> um listeners if you're looking for more of our stuff subscribe on itunes or you can get Content wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. It's no buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass, metaphorical glass. He's just hanging out at his home office. It's Friday, so we're playing things out with checks and balances by full-time fool, Burke Ingrafia. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and fool on. I've got a million dollars. It's hypothetical. Large amount in my bank account, it's parenthetical The money I'm made of is theoretical So in theory I've got it good My fat wallet is on a diet 
My balance sheet is lopsided My income statement is keeping silent But let's keep one thing understood I need checks I need balances Life's a mess With financial challenges Checks and balances When things get tough Do you do it for money Or do you do it for love My cold hard cash Is soft and tropical My deep pockets Are merely topical I hit the big time It was microscopical But don't you get it I am no fool I own a bank I call him Piggy Brought home the bacon He got a little wiggy Cracked him open What a pity His inner life was pitiful I need checks I need balances Life's a mess With financial challenges Checks and balances When things get tough Do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? I know a cheapskate always has a headache Trying to get something for free None more wiser is the miser Always lives in misery I'm cashing in on Triple coupon, soup kitchen's calling Saying the soup's on I sing for my supper and get my groove on I still know how to have fun checks I need balances life's a mess with financial challenges checks and balances when things get tough do you do it for money or do you do it for love has a headache trying to get something for free none more wiser is the miser always lives in misery i own a bank i call him piggy brought home the bacon he got a little wiggy cracked him open what a pity his inner life was pitiful i need checks I need balances, life's a mess With financial challenges, checks and balances When things get tough, do you do it for money? Or do you do 